0: Section 10 of A Battle of the Books. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Battle of the Books by Gail Hamilton. Battle of Gog and Magog, Part 1. We have now reached a point in the tragedy where the English language breaks down, and pious Aeneas must rescue and tell. Trojanus ut opes et lamentible regnum, eruint deny quique ipse miserima vidi, et quorum pars magna fui, quis talia fando, myrmidomum, dolop pumve, aut duri miles ulesie temperate a lacrimis, sed si tantis amor, cognoscere nostros, Et breviter trogi supremum audire laborum, quam quam animus meminisse horit lucde refugit incipiam. And giving the Aeneid with some variations, I might go on Est in conspectu m n notissima fama, insula divis opum, agrorum et osboni dum regna i consented to be inconspectu in mr dane's earnest representations that matters might come up on which i was better informed than he and on which my statements might be important of course after all this trouble it was not worth while to run any risk through mere personal feeling at the appointed time accordingly the combatants appeared upon the arena at mars hill house in martial array messrs hunt perry and co were led by a lawyer mr sudlow whose purpose it soon appeared was not to open but to postpone the battle i must admit i listened in amazement here after sixteen months of backing and filling three months after an arbitration had been agreed on and more than a week after the day had been appointed by them and accepted by me they appeared for the purpose of saying that they could not go on with the case i remembered with astonishment that on the thirteenth of november preceding, the affair had seemed so simple to mr hunt that he had written to one of those friends of mine to whom he had wished and i had declined to refer the case if you and i businessmen could have half an hour's talk together and m n would abide by your decision i think that half-hour would be sufficient to settle the whole thing whereas now before the man whom i had chosen three months did not seem long enough the reasons presented by mr sudlow were first that the preliminaries were not arranged the referees themselves averred in substance that this could be done in five minutes on the spot And there need be no delay on that account. Mr. Sudlow said, secondly, that at an early stage of the affair I had waived all legal claim, or had never made any, yet that I now appeared with a lawyer as if to establish a legal claim, that this was an entirely new phase, and one which they could not meet without due preparation. It was alleged in reply that our courts do not distinguish between legal claims and claims in equity and that, however I might present my claim, it was as a debt and not as a gift, that it surely would not be held by Messrs. Hunt, Perry and Co., that the reference had been called to arbitrate upon a gratuity. After a good deal of talk, Mr. Dane called for the authority by which they said I had waived all legal claims, and they produced the letter sent them by me on the twenty-ninth August, 1767, about eight months before this time, which said of course i know that legally i have no right to go behind a contract and therefore no legal claim upon you for additional money on those books that are named in the contract mr dane pointed out that even on this ground there was no waiving of legal claims except on those books named in the contract referred to as only three books were embraced in that contract as one was published under a different contract which we wished carried out and five were published without any contract at all the postponing of the case on this pretext was simply preposterous it seemed to me moreover though i said nothing that even if i had supposed eight months ago that i had no legal claims i might have subsequently learned otherwise and that any person who really wanted the case looked into and satisfactorily settled would never have been deterred by so slight an obstacle but the contest as it stood was two-thirds legal and it would seem as if an enterprising firm of four shrewd businessmen might have been prepared to illustrate it in eight months if they had given their minds to it mr sudlow affirmed thirdly that messrs hunt perry and co had supposed they should meet me alone for a friendly reference that on such a supposition they had arranged to be represented before the referees by one member of their firm mr markman who had accordingly prepared to present the case that until they received mr dane's letter of interrogatories of the sixteenth instant they had not supposed i should employ counsel but if I employed counsel, they should also employ counsel, that they were not prepared to appear with counsel, and must have a postponement for the purpose of making such preparation, and as Mr. Hunt was to leave for Europe on the following Monday, the postponement must hold till after his return from Europe. Mr. Dane asked them if they meant to allege that they had stipulated that I should not employ counsel. They said they had not so stipulated, but that they supposed I would not employ it. Mr. Dane then said that he had been my adviser from the beginning, both as my friend and as a friend of Mr. Hunt, Mr. Hunt having done him the honor to speak of him as an old friend, that he had had frequent communications with them on the subject, as they well knew, and that they had made no objection to his connection with it. That it made no difference except in name whether he was called my counsel or my friend that although he was a lawyer he trusted he was not on that account to be excluded from the circle of my friends and that under the circumstances it might be proper for him to state that my name had never been on his account books and that he had all along counseled me only as a friend this thing he said is not to be misunderstood we want to be definite will you say that you will not proceed because m n has counsel if you choose to call it so when she never said that she would not have counsel nothing ever having been said about it they still reiterated their assertion that under the circumstances they could not go on with the case as the business had looked to Mr. Hunt so simple that two businessmen could settle it in half an hour, it would seem as if almost any kind of a lawyer might have mastered it in the time between the 16th of April, when the idea of my having counsel first dawned upon the unsuspecting minds of Messrs. H. P. and Co., and the 22nd, when the hearing was to be had, the firm must rank law far below commerce, if a lawyer could not understand in six days, with three men to help him, what a merchant could comprehend in a half-hour alone. Mr. Dane then consulted with me, and I told him upon the impulse of the moment that I would go on. This, perhaps, was hardly prudent or proper, but there had been so much difficulty and delay in bringing things even to this stage the trouble had weighed so heavily and disastrously upon me, that anything seemed better than an indefinite postponement. Moreover, the reasons which they alleged for delay appeared to me mere quibbles. I thought I saw that they did not design to have any hearing, and that if we should ever get another again, there would be just as much reason for further delay as now, and if I did not secure a hearing now, I never should." I felt that the referees must surely think they had been summoned on a fool's errand. I was quite aware, not only of my inability to present the case adequately, but to present it at all in person. But I had the brief, which Mr. Dane would have used, and I had my formidable history in which the referees could quarry at pleasure. Even if I should lose the case, I was not without resource, for upon the instant when i saw that messrs hunt perry and co were about to evade the only thing which i had wanted namely a fair and full discussion there came into my mind another tribunal which it would be impossible for them to evade and before which i could present my case with or without counsel in my own time and way I had all along had a vague feeling that something of service to my craft must come out of all this harassment to me, though no definite idea had ever evolved itself. But at that moment, tingling with indignation and contempt and a sense of outrage, an outrage greater than appears here, greater, I think, than the junior members of the firm knew or intended, but not greater than Mr. Hunt knew and, I believe, counted on, At that moment I resolved that, so far as I could help it, no person should ever be placed in the position in which I found myself. If any writer thereafter should get into such a snare, he should not blunder in as I had done, but walk in with his eyes open. I thought that my brief and my universal history would be enough to draw the enemy's fire. I should know where they stood, And if I could not understand the analysis and cultivation of the soil, I could at least map out the ground for other investigators. I felt that I could better afford to lose my case than my time. Mr. Hunt had calculated accurately enough the quality and amount of resistance he was accumulating against me. The thing he had not sufficiently calculated was the amount of force that could be brought to overcome that resistance mr dane then said that having consulted me he had one more proposition to make he was not himself surprised at the turn affairs had taken he had at the beginning advised me to have recourse to the courts as the only sure way of redress but that i had always refused to do so that he had repeatedly predicted even to the preceding day that some way would be found to avoid a hearing that he thought it hardly fair for them to force me to go on alone, whom they knew to be entirely unfamiliar with the details of business, who had scarcely in my whole life had any business transactions except with themselves, and had left those entirely in their hands, who had not indeed expected to appear at all in the case, and had only the night before reluctantly consented at his solicitations to be present." if you gentlemen think it fair and honourable to insist now at the last hour that m n shall without any friend and entirely unprepared meet you alone and conduct the case herself she will do so we have come here in good faith to have a hearing and if such are the only conditions on which it can be had we will accept them although i think them hard we will accept your understanding of the conditions instead of our own. Your firm shall have its representative, I will withdraw, M. N. will do the best she can, and you may see if you can make anything out of it. Mr. Perry seemed to think, like David Copperfield, that this was a disagreeable way of putting the business, and wished me to state that I did not feel that they wished to take any advantage of me. Mr. Dane said, i do not know what m n s feelings are my opinion is understood and i shall state it whenever and wherever i choose as my feelings were not under arbitration i declined through mr dean to make any declaration concerning them but said i wished to go on with the case mr dane and mr sudlow then withdrew and the firm were reduced to the painful necessity of proceeding although their anxiety in regard to my feelings was not relieved they did not however proceed according to their own statement of what had been their understanding concerning the mode of procedure before messrs dane and sudlow withdrew mr sudlow said that they were to be represented by one member of their firm and that mr markman had prepared himself for such representation mr dane had distinctly stated that he withdrew on this understanding after he was gone i expected that messrs hunt and perry would also withdraw according to their statement of their original intention and its acceptance by mr dane instead of which mr perry came to me and asked me if i had any preference as to whether the whole firm should remain or only one member of it i conceived that this matter had been previously settled by express stipulation that they had no right to open it again and place the decision on my preference i disdained to receive as a favor what seemed to me the least of my rights and i refused to express any preference about it mr perry said if i had no preference of course they would rather stay and they all stayed the following paper was then drawn up by the referees and signed by messrs hunt perry and co and myself athens april twenty two seventeen sixty nine there being a controversy between hunt perry and co as successors of brummell and hunt of athens and M. N. of Zoar, in regard to the amount due from the former to the latter for proceeds arising from the publication and sale of the books of which M. N. is the author, it is hereby agreed between the parties to the controversy to submit the points in dispute to George W. Hampton and James Russell as friendly referees, with the right to the referees to choose a third as umpire, either on the general merits or on any specific point that may be submitted to said third person, and both parties to this agreement hereby bind themselves to accept the award of said referees as binding and conclusive, without reserving any right of appeal to any court of law, in witness whereof this agreement is signed by both parties in presence of the referees to whose custody it is committed as i did not intend ever again to sign a paper whose import i did not fully comprehend it may be supposed that i listened attentively to the reading of this paper as i had no design to appeal to any court of law and as it did not preclude me from appealing to the court to which i had made up my mind to appeal i had no hesitation in signing it the case being thus begun nothing remained but to place into the hands of the referees the entire case in all its bearings between the firm of Brummel and hunt and m n as presented by the latter compiled chiefly from the original documents in two parts part first the case in brief part second the case in full each part complete in itself the part to be selected according to the taste object or judgment of the reader october twenty second seventeen sixty eight the case in brief when messrs brummell and hunt published city lights they made a contract to pay me ten per cent on the retail price of the book after the first thousand copies were sold i did not know that a contract was necessary but they told me it was and they also wrote my name in pencil to indicate where i was to write it in ink "'Afterwards they published Alba Dies and Rocks of a without any contract. "'When Old Miasmas was about to be published, "'it occurred to me that if a contract were necessary in one case, "'it was in another, and I suggested it to Mr. Hunt. "'He accordingly had a new contract made out, embracing these three books, "'in which the firm agreed to pay me fifteen cents a volume for each volume sold.' I think it must have been at the time this contract was made out, but I cannot be sure as to the time, that Mr. Hunt told me that they were going to pay me a fixed sum, fifteen cents on a volume, instead of a percentage, that that was the way they were going to do with their authors on account of fluctuations, general uncertainties, and so forth. I made no objection. I felt none. I assented as a matter of course, I thought that this was his business and no affair of mine. I should have thought it intermeddling and offensive to friendship to take exception, and I did not dream there was anything to take exception to. I had perfect faith in Mr. Hunt, and I reckoned my interests far safer in his hands than in my own. In the winter of seventeen sixty seven eight. I suddenly awoke to the fact that ten per cent was the ordinary rate of payment to the author, and that I had been receiving for several years only six and two-thirds and seven and one-half per cent. At the time Mr. Hunt changed his mode of payment, my books were selling at a dollar and fifty cents a volume, so that ten per cent and fifteen cents were the same. I was therefore the less likely to take exception to the change." the contract embraced old miasmas which was about to be published but when it was published the price of it and the rest of the books was put at two dollars and has remained so ever since all the books that have been published for me by messrs h p and co since old miasmas have been published without contract on each of these books five in number they have paid me fifteen cents a volume except holidays on which they paid ten cents a volume holidays was sold at retail for one dollar and a half the rights of men for one dollar and a half the others were at the price of two dollars the rights of men was not published until after i had made objection to the low price i had been receiving Pervilles and troubadours of corinth and publishers of athens have told me that ten per cent on the retail price is the customary pay of authors i claim that messrs brummell and hunt should pay me the difference between what they have paid and what ten per cent would have been and that on all books sold in the future they should pay ten per cent i agreed to less in full faith in their uprightness and in the belief, based on Mr. Hunt's statement, and on my own high opinion of their justice and liberality, that I was faring just as others fared. Messrs. Brummel and Hunt refused to pay me more than six and two-thirds and seven and a half per cent, either for the past or the future, except on the rights of men, to which I had added, February twenty sixth, 1769, i claim now after fourteen months of what theologians call waiting in the use of means that they should reimburse me for the time and trouble it has cost me to enforce my claims the case in full the case in full was the history just given compiled as its perusal shows from various motives at various times for various persons A few letters between Mr. Dane and myself have been inserted to meet sundry points which afterwards came up. A few slight verbal alterations have been made, and some elegant extracts from the newspapers have been introduced. Otherwise, the statement here made, covering the time from October 1767 to February 1769, is the one which was presented to and acted upon by the referees it was indeed a formidable object and those unhappy gentlemen may be pardoned if for a moment as they held it in their hands they looked into each other's faces in dismay but it gives me pleasure to add for the credit of our common humanity that they met their fate like men and by a well-organized system of ride and tie arrived at their journey's end in a much fresher fashion than could have been expected of mere mortals when the reading of this document was completed messrs hunt perry and co took up the parable mr perry being the first spokesman and here i may say that notwithstanding their assertion that they had expected to be represented by one of their firm mr markman and that on such expectation mr markman had prepared a presentation of the case when i gave up my arrangements and consented to adopt theirs their own seemed to have been changed instead of one member having it in charge they all had a share in it perhaps on the pauline theory that if one member suffer all the members must suffer with them mr perry began speaking from notes mr hunt followed and mr markman brought up the rear with day book and ledger each one seemed to have his part carefully marked out and assigned to him and if it had not been for the assertion that they had intended to be represented by one i should never have suspected that the subsequent management of this case by all three was a sudden and unaccountable afterthought mr perry began by giving a general outline of the trouble as seen from the firm point of sight he admitted the pleasant relations in which we had previously stood It seemed that in the latter part of 1767 I had something of a disappointment that the balance due me was not larger, and cast about to see how it could be increased, that the segregational issue most alleged that a larger sum was generally paid than I had received, and Mr. Jackson seemed to confirm this statement, that Mr. Dane, to whom also I had had recourse, had not alleviated my uneasiness but had rather poisoned my mind against them, as could be seen by the attitude he had assumed here this morning, saying that he had never believed I should have a hearing, and so forth, that, as a result of it all, I considered that I had a claim for additional money, a claim that lay back of the contracts, as I had said, that I believed they had paid me less than they paid others, and, in short, brought against them a charge of general disingenuousness." in replying to messrs hunt perry and co i was obliged to omit allusion to sundry points of minor importance out of a tenderness to the referees a tenderness of which probably until this moment they had no suspicion to the readers of this narrative i have no tenderness whatever since the matter lies in their own hands and they can dismiss it at pleasure i shall therefore touch upon various omitted points While sketching the outlines of the defense, and will say here that Mr. Perry's declaration regarding the cause of the Great Awakening is strictly true. My eyes were not opened by any profound reflections on the origin of evil, or the analogy of religion natural and revealed to the constitution and course of nature, but simply by the ignoble circumstance that I wanted money in my own miserable purse the only consolation to be found for this shameful disclosure is the recollection of that threepence a pound on tea which produced george washington and the great american republic i have however in mitigation of this sordidness brought forward one or two letters which show that i wanted the money for others the inference naturally being that i was not in so imminent danger of starvation that the difference between meum and tuum was in my mind entirely obliterated several letters between mr dane and myself have also been introduced for the purpose of showing to what extent my mind was susceptible of being poisoned with what ingredients the attempt was made and how far it assimilated and how far rejected these ingredients my opinion is that if such poisoning be a capital offence my attorney and myself must die together for i fear we are equally guilty so far as mr jackson was concerned mr perry said that he had been unsuccessful in business was not now a regular publisher and he did not think his testimony of what was a custom several years ago was available in deciding what was the custom now regarding messrs troubadour pareville's and others he preserved a discreet silence, but objected to the introduction of the testimony of other publishers, as Messrs. H. P. and Co. conducted their business with their authors alone, without thinking it necessary to consult other publishers. Unless, therefore, I insisted upon other publishers being brought in, they should prefer to have them kept out. In reply to a question, Mr. Perry said he did not know what was the custom of other publishers in regard to paying authors. Now it was a very important part of my plan to have other publishers appealed to, but I was not in a condition to insist upon anything. I did not know what to do with them, even if I had them there. I certainly could not put them through a catechism, and I had no one to do it for me. So I said nothing and the publishers were of course ruled out by default is it mr perry deprecated any attributing of hostility to them they had been desirous to have the matter amicably settled so desirous that they had even offered to refer it to various friends of my own with one of whom they had no acquaintance at all with another of whom they had but a slight acquaintance but whom they thought competent to settle it and they had also offered to pay me ten per cent on all future sales all of which i had declined with regard to the question of fraud mr perry would say in a general way that i went to them an unknown author very urgent to publish city lights that i had a great deal of confidence in them spoke emphatically of the important advantage to me of being published by brummell and hunt that in short i came to them in such a way as almost to hold out to them a temptation to defraud me so that if they had been inclined to it they would have been likely to do it then he produced the following extracts from letters written by me to mr hunt to sustain his charge and if the printing of these letters seems somewhat appalling let me assure the objector that it is a pleasing entertainment compared with the sensation of hearing them read before five men two of whom are indifferent to you three hostile and four strangers kits cats sacks and wives how many were there going to st ives footnote the editor considers this levity highly unbecoming so solemn an occasion i am moved here to say that those persons who during the present century have been annoyed by letters from this now repentant and remorseful writer may find ample revenge for all their discomfort in a knowledge of the manner in which these letters have returned to plague the inventor the first is dated april fourteenth seventeen sixty two i hope this letter sounds light and airy to you i assure you it is very ghastly joking for me i am burdened with a terrible secret which i wish to confide to you at the risk of losing your complaisance forever i dread to come at it but i don't see how i can beat about the bush any longer i am not at work on anything for the adriatic you would not print my letters and you would not answer my letters so satan subsidized my idle hands and i thought i would make a book so i made a book it is not about the war nor the times nor anything sensible it is not a novel nor a history nor a poem nor a criticism nor a volume of sermons somehow it does not look like a book nor sound like a book nor act like a book but it is a book i can make my davy on that there is a title and a place for a preface and an introduction and i can put in an appendix if i wish and explanatory notes and a glossary and errata and if you will publish it i will give you the copyright and the premium and the patent and the monopoly and all the dividends and if there is anything else that its title is city lights it is blocked out in twelve chapters one moving that gets us out of the old house and into the new one and gives us a local habitation and a starting point i wrote it for the a m but you stunned me so with hurling back my paper pellets at my head that i did not dare try it again two the bank that means a grass bank not a money bank that has been printed three my garden that you have heard of that was what i wanted the proof-sheets for and you may conceive how guilty i felt it seemed all the while like when joab said to amasa art thou in health my brother and took him by the beard with the right hand to kiss him and smote him under the fifth rib the wretch but you see i was forced to be wily if you had known that i was conspiring against your peace of mind of course you would not have put the weapon into my hand so i had to take you by the beard tenderly or i should not have got the fifth rib at all and that is the backbone of my book four men and women been printed five tommy been printed six boston and home again been printed personal adventures of a rustic in the city seven friendship in your hands will be when you get this 8. Dog days. Been printed. 9. Fading as a leaf, or something of that sort, knocks the bottom all out of the autumnal, sentimental kind of moral reflections. Been printed. 10. Winter. Snow and coal fires. Been printed. 11. My flower bed. A success to offset the failure to my garden. 12. Happiest days. Now the question is, will you let me send it to you? You see, it is almost all in print, so it will take but a minute to run it over. A longish kind of a minute, of course. I have not the least idea whether it is worth publishing or not. I don't want it published unless it will reflect credit on the literature of the country. Now, may I be forgiven for telling a lie, but I don't want it published if it will reflect discredit. I will stick to that." I don't I want it published unless it will be read and liked by cultivated people. I don't want it to be at the level of schoolgirls and shop boys. I want it to be a book such as blank or blank or blank or blank or blank might take into the country, not for the thought or the theory, but for amusement, and such as would amuse them, such as Englishmen might read and value for its little sidelights thrown on American country life. I don't aim to do anything above amusement, and if it won't do that, it is a failure, for there is nothing else for it to do. You see, it was not written with any view to a book. I suppose I have enough things printed to make a dozen books, and I have taken out enough for one about the size of Sir Thomas Brown. So far as the people I write for are concerned, I think now is as good a time as any there is a kind of hiatus in bookmaking, and that gives me a chance for a hearing. My audience is more at leisure now, and not much poorer. It is especially adapted to the times, in that it has not anything to do with them, and so will be a recreation if it is not a bore. I should not think it would sell, I must say, for there is not anything of it. Still, all the parts of it that have been printed have taken— I don't understand why i have a certain vivacity of style which would be well enough if i had anything solid underneath but i have no thought no depth no severe and careful culture no comprehensiveness no substance nothing to raise me above the penny aligners except perhaps the matter of vivacity or whatever it is but that is nothing to depend upon no resource no capital My chief talent consists in raising great expectations, which will turn out like pips, I expect. It is no fault of mine. I do conscientiously the best I can. You are an illustration of this thing. You expect a number one things of me. But you have no ground for it. I have sent you my a number one things already, and you see they are not up to the mark, but they are the very best i can do under the circumstances what right have you then to expect anything better i consider it a great misfortune that somehow my performances seem to give a promise that is entirely unwarrantable oh well i must stop some time so i suppose i might as well stop here all is may i send the thing to you it is all ready only i have to take it to some bookbinder somewhere to have the things pasted in I hope i do not annoy you by asking you not much i mean of course it must annoy you a little i assure you you need not have the slightest feeling about saying no it would be no kindness to me to suffer me to disgrace myself or my country there is only one sin that i will never forgive if you ever tell anybody my wrath will kindle against you into perpetual fire and you know about furies and scorned women and the wicked place i hope this will get at you in some little crack between two madnesses but if it does not pray don't turn mad at me i can bear anything but to be snapped up i wonder if you would be more likely to be pleased if i had stopped before if so you can just turn back to the place where your temper began to crack and make-believe yours respectfully came there. But if you have been so generous hitherto that I am afraid I perhaps presume too far, now I am sure that compliment is very well turned, seeing that kind of thing is not in my line. But the fact is, I want you to stay good-humoured so much that I would say anything. Yours very truly, M. N. End of section 10.